Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's my podcast, and I'll cry if I want to. What antiques are we talking about this week? So this is a listener request that took me off guard. So thank you, Carolyn, for your request, because this was actually pretty fun to learn about. Carolyn wanted to know about the fable behind the Monteith. Which is French for my teeth. You know, for a second, I was going to be like, oh, wow, is it really? And then I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> if you wanted to know how little I know about French. Someone was doing a dastardly jape they were. I was like, oh, wow, that's a- Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be mes dents. Mes dents. Mais ouais. I was going to say it was probably something like mes chompers. My chompers. <laughs> So I actually had no idea what this was when I read that. Oh, what a coincidence. Same here. <laughs> what the fuck is it? Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> whenever you suggest something, just as a fun fact, and I don't know what it is, I'm going to do that immediately. <laughs> so a Monteith bowl is a large bowl, not unlike a punch bowl, and in fact, frequently also called a punch bowl, that features a wide band with notches around the rim, allowing for wine glasses to be hooked onto the bowl to chill in ice water. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, in addition to the notched rim, they have some common features, which is a fluted body, ring handles, a resting on a foot ring or splayed foot, and decorated with gudruning, embossing, or vertical fluting. Now, Dee, did you ever figure out what gudruning was? No, I didn't. Um, if someone could tell me, that'd be great. <laughs> Do you know what gudruning is? Email antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. In addition, of course, to the notches. And the notches, the scalloped rim, very frequently could be removed from the bowl so it could do double duty as a punch bowl once the wine glasses were appropriately chilled. Classically, they are made out of silver, making them an extremely expensive bowl. Although later adoption would see, I'm not going to say a variety of materials. I'm not going to say that. That's a trap. I, I know that's a bear trap clenching my leg. <laughs> it's a trap that you set for yourself. I cannot emphasize enough. Oh, yeah. No one else has set this trap. It's just you <laughs> insisting that one or two kinds of materials is a wide variety of materials. Oh, well, this has at least one material, metal. <laughs> Variations of which can include brass, copper. See, I can't. There's no trap here. It's one material. Well, it's actually two materials. And yet you were compelled and had to prevent yourself from saying there was a wide variety of material. Because there was! There... <laughs> A wide variety of one material. Well, but I don't know how, you know what it is? I can't, I can't predict how you're going to start taxonomically classifying things. Okay, here's a hint. If it's one material, I'm going to count it as one. Would you lump glass, porcelain, and pottery in the same, like, category? No. Okay, so it's three materials. That's still not a wide breadth. For bowls it is. If a puddle was three inches wide, I would not tell you it was a wide pool. Okay, hey, here, all right. Other than metal, glass, and pottery, can you name other things a bowl would be made out of? Wood. Fuck off. <laughs> Go to hell. <laughs> get in your car. Get on get on Route 195 and go to hell. Uh-huh. I feel like 95 or 93 North would get me more expediently to hell because then I'd be going straight through Boston. Hey, yeah, yeah, well, no, you can't go there because you might get some ice cream. In Boston? Yeah, there's delicious ice cream in Boston. Do they have such luxuries there? Oh my goodness. The, such that you would never know. The rewards for such a punishing life are great. <laughs> 
I don't know that there's any ice cream good enough to make driving in Boston worthwhile, but I'll take your word. Apologies to our Boston friends, who frequently eat much better ice cream than I have access to. Unpossible, but go on. (laughs) So they're made out of a small variety of materials, including (laughs) brass, copper, pewter, glass, porcelain, and pottery. Although silver plate would continue to be king in the short-lived life of these punch bowls. They are thought to have come around about the 1680 to 1690s. Also known as the party decades. Not necessarily untrue. Some artwork does suggest that fancy punch type bowls without notches were used for the same purpose, and the notches were just meant to make the bowls more useful for their purpose of chilling the glasses. Someone cited it as the oldest silver piece for non-ecclesiastical use, which almost can't that cannot, cannot, cannot be, true. be true. Precisely. And, and, you know, it was like their source was, I made it the fuck up. Citation extremely needed. Yeah. Someone else posited on an entirely different article that it might be true specifically for bowls. No. So they might be the oldest silver bowls for non-ecclesiastical use, and I suppose I can't mount an argument against that. No, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Absolutely not. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, like... Citation needed. Royalty has been making shit out of fine materials for a long time. Can you back this up? Go ahead and try. I don't believe it yet. Antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Cite your goddamn sources. Now, are you asking yourself, did you include this just so you could get, like, mad about it? Yes, absolutely. Did we start a podcast just so we could get mad about things like this? Yes. I mean, basically. Welcome. Glad you found us. (laughs) Mad and excited. Mad's just a specific flavor of excited. It's true. So interestingly enough, Monteith's grew up, of course, alongside punch bowls, right around the time that punch houses were becoming extremely popular in England, the early 1700s. Prior to the rise of the Gin Palace? Prior to the rise of the Gin Palace, correct. The first punch houses popped up in around 1720, and I mention that almost strictly so I can tell you that this punch was served from an enormous communal bowl, and that sounds nasty. If you hate that, you're gonna love penny licks. We've been over penny licks, and I think I have consistently let you know that it makes my skin crawl. For more on that, check out our sanitation craze episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that what they got going on in Boston? Yeah, punch had been recently imported in some bastardized form from India and quickly swept the nation because England was like, holy shit, this tastes. (laughs) And you'll find that a lot of England's history is revolves around that phrase. Not only does this have a flavor that I can detect, but it also gets me just like absolutely tanked, (laughs) which is what I need to be to make living in England worthwhile. Oh, here's another one that I'm not citing as actual information because, like, again, press X to doubt. Someone suggested that Monteith's for cooling glasses popped up specifically because England at the time, so anywhere between 1680 through, like, 1750, was going through a period of time where it was fashionable to eat very spicy food. Bullshit. I don't think they ever did that. I mean, maybe they put vinegar on something and called it spicy, but I'm pressing X to doubt. It was most likely just that everyone wanted to drink punch, and if you want to drink punch, you gotta have a punch bowl. So suddenly to be the fanciest guy at the party, you better have a Monteith so you can cool that glass before you serve that punch. This led into a period of time leading into the gin craze where the English government started to notice that everyone was extremely fucking drunk all the goddamn time. What? How? Who could have done this? Yeah. (laughs) This led to the Sale of Spirits Act in 1750, as well as a bunch of other smaller laws to try to keep people from drinking gin. The Killjoy Act. Which coincided very nicely with the fall of the popularity of Monteith's outside of specific individual use. 
the rich might still commission one to be made for their fancy parties, but no longer were the everyday riffraff going about serving the punch. I know this isn't what you meant, but I am delighted by the idea of a personal punch bowl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would do it. Johnny Law gonna tell me not to drink? Oh. Yeah, you, you can just put the Sail of Spirits Act all you want. I am drinking. You can pry this punch bowl out of my cold, dead hands. Another thing that is unquestionably true, although I had a really difficult time figuring out why exactly, my best guess is just cultural fetishization, is that they tended to be decorated with chinoiserie almost exclusively until around 1720. I don't know why, but when you see one like that, you can actually sort of guess that it is prior to 1720. Now, what our our dear listener was actually asking about was the name of the Monteith. We've already been over this. It's French for my teeth. It's French for my teeth. Eat your teeth. Which is what we'll be chattering when your glasses are chilled in the Monteith. Good night, everyone. So this is another situation in which you can see a lot of people, publications, scholarly and not, kind of playing telephone eternally. So if you find this frustratingly vague, bitch me too. <laughs> Solidarity. So... Supposedly the name Monteith is named for a fabled Scottish noble named Monsieur Monte. I found no fewer than 95 fuck trillion uh, <laughs> variations on how the spelling of Monteith, some of which do not have the th noise at the end. To be fair, this was before the standardization of English spelling, so... <laughs> yeah, and this was also coming about in a period of time where I s supposedly the French were immigrating to Scotland. Yeah, French and Scotland had an alliance going back to before Elizabeth got hold of Scotland. Yeah. Because, like, the French and the Scots were united over really hating the fuck out of England, which is why Mary, Queen of Scots, spent most of her life in France. Very helpful back for why a Frenchman would be a Scottish noble. Yes. So I could confirm two things. There is a surname Monteith recognized as a Scottish noble surname in general, which is to say history records prove that there were landed gentry named Monteith in Scotland sometimes. All right, we've got that far. So we know that. Two books mention Monsieur Monteith both of them comparing him actively to the bull. So this man does not exist before his bull exists? Reference to the man seems to only exist in active comparison to the bull. Now, let me Tarantino this a little bit. The bull is named Monteith because Monsieur Monteith, the legendary noble, wore an ostentatious cloak with U-shaped notches at the bottom, just like the bull. What does that have to do with Quentin Tarantino? You can't even see his feet. Well, okay. He had great feet, too. Okay. This is mentioned in a book that everywhere is simply credited to A. Wood in 1683. No title. No topic that it's about. Consequently, I could not find the book in question. Because it turns out a lot of people were named A. Wood across the entire European subcontinent. Really? No way. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can't even assure you that this book exists. Author Samuel Pepys. Pepys? P-E-P-Y-S. How do you say that? I've always called him Peepus, but I'm mostly doing that to have a jape at him. Okay. But described Monsieur Monteith as a, quote, swaggering handsome young gentleman with a good bass, but used to sing only tavern tunes, which is a weird detail to remember about a man who didn't exist. Um, Samuel Peepus is... <laughs> Pe Pepis? <laughs> Sorry, I... Sorry, I cracked myself up for a second. <laughs> By all means, take your time. Do you, ever, do you ever hear yourself say peepus in like the most serious voice you can muster? Oh my god. 
That's the most credibility I could find in the story is that I, that author does exist. The Tarantino connection is still flying over my head and I'm not even making a foot joke this time. Like, I, I don't understand why you said you were Tarantinoing this. Oh, because I took the story backwards. Oh, because we had a flashback. Yeah, yeah. Because I was talking about Monteith, but I hadn't, uh, I hadn't actually established the connection to the bull. Now I get it. Okay. <laughs> As a narrative, it's a, literally everyone listening is going to think the same thing. Literally everyone listening is already halfway through composing their angry emails at my own audacious idiocy no they're just gonna be like don't fucking bring tarantino into this shit (laughs) so there you have it this is a mystery that i don't know how to solve uh, aside from reading every single book published by an a wood between 1680 and 1685 which to quote the great philosopher plato i ain't doing that shit fam so the major thorn here seems to be that no record of monteith exists until they are comparing him to the bull exactly i would argue no one had ever heard of the earl of sandwich until the invention of the sandwich but he also exists it's just that no one give a shit well no because the the earl of sandwich has like a lineage that can be traced i mean there are records of noblemen named monteith in scotland but don't you think that if he had a whole bowl named after his ass someone would have written that down other than a wood absolutely not People were concerned with the Jacobite uprising. They didn't have time for that shit. Plus, we know the first name. We don't know Monsieur Monteith's first name. We know the sandwich's first name is Earl. That, D. <laughs> D. <laughs> D, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> How long were you sitting on that? <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even come through your fucking headphones. You were, you, that was just rage that came out. How long were you sitting? on that that was off the cuff i promise you incredible i, I couldn't have planned it i didn't know you're gonna bring the earl of sandwich into this of course i was going to bring the earl of sandwich into this i keep him in the wings every episode just in case i need him <laughs> so are you you're a monsieur monteith truther you think he's out there oh he's out there then like where are his where is his lineage where's his family where's the artwork of him scotland see so i did consider that is part of my research paralysis here just that i have trouble accessing perhaps more local knowledge of scotland Possibly. Oh, I hope we have. Do we have Scottish? Anyone Scottish listening? I would love if you could get me on the inside track to someone who can prove the existence of Monsieur Monteith. Hey, Scotland, you up there? Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Because it does feel weirdly specific. Like, I can't go with the theory that Awood made this up because I think it would be almost, like, certifiable if you said, it's named after this cool guy, he had a nice cloak. Uh, it happened. Like, that's so specific. I don't know that it's too specific for someone to make up. But it's like, if I'm gonna lie to you about a guy, I wouldn't be like, you'll never believe what this dude did. He took a ham and he slapped it between bread. Like, you'll, you'll never, like, that's not, I'm gonna be like, he flew, he could fly. <laughs> He's, he's my dad. He's, he's the he's the pre- king of Nintendo. Like, I'm not gonna- Not make everyone it. is so audacious <laughs> a liar as you, Dee. <laughs> I just, I, I think it's a weird thing to lie about. Some people are content to keep their stories within the realm of possibility. That his cloak was so cool he had a bowl named after him? No, you've never met him, just trust me. Yeah, this was pre-Netflix. That was a very exciting story for the time. It seems fake, but okay. I guess it would be really funny watching people comb Scotland to try to find Monsieur Monteith. <laughs> Serve him some punch. So yeah, so you're you're a Monteith truther. All right, that's that's cool. I hope that catches on. I hope everyone calls it that now. <laughs> this new cryptid, Monsieur Monteith.
Carolyn did mention in the request that nobody knew if Monteith existed, and I, yeah, I'm bested. I've, I've been rolled. I could not find but scrapings of the reference to the, to the gentleman. Damn. But the bowls he purportedly inspired are gorgeous and worthy of his legendary name. I mean, they're made from quite a wide breadth of materials. Now you might be thinking, I want to get me in on some of this Monteith action. And, uh, to that I say... <laughs> Probably not. No? Everything I found suggests that these range from the high hundreds to low thousands for less impressive materials to anywhere from 10 to 20,000 for solid silver. As they were usually commissioned items, they're usually tied to a specific silversmith or silver house. They do tend to be very old, having their popularity cut off in the 1700s is like, well, yeah. And they tend to be really fine materials. Which is all going to add up to a highly coveted piece of property. Hot damn. I'm certainly not going to get my hopes up about finding one at an auction real cheap, but if you see a weird punch bowl that nobody wants and it's got notches on the rim, maybe take a chance. Maybe you'll find Monteith Gold. Your own legendary Monteith. Your own legendary My Teeth. My Teeth Academia. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Cut that, please. Absolutely not. That is staying in. <laughs> Everyone will know you watch anime. <laughs> I bring that one up the most and I, I've never watched it. It's because I worked at Hot Topic, which like that's like having it infused with you. Like my blood is actually part that anime. Because you had more than enough grandmothers coming up to you asking for desperate help and figuring out what the <laughs> hell anime their grandkids wanted for Christmas. Yeah, so I had to Google it a lot because they're just like, who's the good guy? And I was just like looking at all of them going like, oh, geez, I don't know. Probably not the one covered in blood. Let's take a guess. <laughs> You never know. But yeah, do you have any questions about Monteith's? Um, my life is better for knowing that they exist. I think they're super neat. One of the few things I kind of wish would be reproduced because I want to have one and not spend $10,000 on it. Just commission a silversmith. Oh, just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like it's hard. Yeah. I mean, what is it expensive or something? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I have to commission little outfits for my dolls. Sources for today include artisanantiques.net. What are Monteith bowls? Arctic.edu slash artwork slash Monteith, silvercollection.it, their article on Monteith's, and southernhomemagazine.com, a refreshing history of punch bowls. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcasts at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com, or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. If you want to provide more impossible challenges, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a rating and review. And if you would like something slightly more attainable than a Monteith, check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks, where we have a variety of vintage goods. And God help me, clowns. You people love clowns, huh? You keep buying clowns we'll keep selling clowns yeah i that's for real though like clowns are quickly becoming like the th- like i am more a clown dealer than a rare book dealer at this point point. and if you need more antiques freaks in your week you can check out our patreon at patreon.com slash antiques freaks where every week we are reading and reviewing a chapter of the victorian penny dreadful varney the vampire the feast of blood special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love so much love and thank you in particular for listening that's right you au revoir goodbye <laughs>